together on God's word. Holy and loving God, we give you thanks for this morning, a morning that was not promised to us, and we offer to you this time as we hear your word read and proclaimed Awaken our hearts and our spirits to be attuned to you and to understand ever more clearly your will for our lives as individuals and as a community of faith and how we live our faith in this community. Help us to be attentive to you, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A reading from the prophet Joel, chapter 20, verses 21 through 27. Do not fear, O soil. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, you animals of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for God has given the early rain for your vindication. God has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the later rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I, the Lord, am your God, and there is no other, and my people shall never again be put to shame. Thanks be to God for this word. A family picture hangs on the wall in our kitchen, just next to the sink when I'm washing the dishes, and I turn for a moment, I can see it there next to me. It's a five by seven, a green frame, a family picture. In the center of the photograph are my in-laws, Felix Zavala Zelaya and Patrocinia Gonzalez Diaz. Their faces are somber and stern, which is the style of taking a photograph for their generation. And they're surrounded by more than about a dozen adult children and their partners, and maybe about six or eight grandchildren. Mango trees and coconut palms are behind them, kind of framing the picture. 
It is Christmas, 1999. And in the house up the hill just behind them, there is a pot of chicken tamales cooking on the stove. A rooster crows and a breeze ruffles the palms. The dust is kind of tamped down from the tropical rain that fell the day before. I am on the other side of the camera, capturing a moment in this family that I have begun to claim as my own, and which has begun to accept me and claim me as theirs. While my in-laws' faces are serious, my sisters-in-laws and my brothers-in-laws and their partners and the children are laughing. Some of them are leaning forward, smiling. Baby nephews are nestled into necks and shoulders and hanging on hips. Three of my nieces are in the front, ages five, seven, and nine, perhaps. Then the snapshot is over, and we all walk up the hill to the house, through the yard, to the adobe and concrete block house. Some of us go through the gate to the front, past the kitchen, where the bedrooms are along the cement patio, looking out into the mango trees. There's a radio hanging from a nail on a rafter, and I can hear the Christmas music. Comi burrito sabanero, voy camino de Belén. Comi burrito sabanero, voy camino de Belén. Si me ven, si me ven, voy camino de Belén. It's a children's song about going to Bethlehem and the excitement of the moment of Christmas. Tamales are served in steamed banana leaves, and cousins and neighbors come to visit. There is life, and we are together. And then, years go by. More babies are born. More people in the family bring in partners and spouses. And I can imagine, you can just imagine that picture hanging on the wall filling with more and more people. The three little girls in the front, my nieces, grow up. Now, nearly 22 years later, the picture looks different. Who remains? And who is gone? Most of the people in that photograph, hanging in my kitchen, and many, many others who joined the photo of the family years later are no longer there. And I'd like to share with you a snapshot of a story of one of those nieces who was in the front row. Anna Yancey is our second eldest niece, and she's in the photograph on the front row to my left wearing a white dress and a white hair bow and white tennis shoes and socks and a shy smile on her face. She is all grown up now. And a month ago, she left Honduras with her husband, Omar, and their baby, Adriel, who's 16 months old, probably for good. As I wrote this manuscript originally a couple of weeks ago, they were at the most perilous point in their journey in northern Mexico, waiting for the right moment when the coyote, the human trafficker into whose hands they'd willingly put themselves to try to get to a better life in the US, would gather their group together with other groups and get them across the Rio Grande in a raft to turn themselves into immigration. The risks at this moment in northern Mexico, northern Mexico included cartels, like the one who 
kidnapped Maria's brother that I mentioned in the moment for mission. Kidnapping, extortion, COVID, and deportation. At one point, she and I were texting through WhatsApp. They were in a location where they had no roof over their heads for three nights. And while it wasn't cold by our standards, I think I looked, I pulled up the weather app on my phone and kept it in that city, in that location, so I could see what the weather was like. It was, you know, 66 degrees at night, which for them is cold. And they didn't have that much with them to keep warm. They had sold their car, they'd borrowed thousands of dollars to make this trip, and there was that real risk of being deported too. And then how do you pay the money back to the people from whom you've borrowed? Now they are awaiting court dates. They made their way to Indianapolis, where Omar has family. Immigration takes all your belongings when you cross. Everything, except the clothes you're wearing, they take your cell phone for a time and they give it back to you eventually so you can contact people. They took Adriel's diapers. They took all their clothing, a blanket they had for Adriel. They took Anna's, Ana Yancy's blood pressure medication as well. Ana, Omar, and Adriel represent multitudes of Hondurans who are facing tremendous ordeals rooted in poverty and violence and who choose to travel to the United States to escape one of these situations, poverty or violence, and in many cases, both. In the scripture reading for today, the people of Israel have undergone tremendous ordeals too. Before the passage that we um, heard today, that we read today, locusts have destroyed the harvests. There's famine, riverbeds are dried up, Armies from the north have attacked them. They've gone through all sorts of calamity and have suffered a kind of national shame in the process. For all the nations and peoples with whom Israel has related, either trading with them or perhaps who have attacked the Israelites or held them captive, it seems to those people that the people of Israel have been abandoned by their God. There is an implicit message here, implicit question. Where is your God now, Israel? They are bewildered, lost in a wilderness, adrift in what seems to be God's providential destruction and chaos. And then suddenly, in the passage we come to today, their fortunes have changed. The tides have, shift, have shifted. God's provision shines on them. They go from famine and hunger, war and violence, fear and hopelessness, to vats full of oil, threshing floors overflowing with wheat, full bellies, peace and security, hope and honor. Joel, though the date of this writing is less than precise, paints a very precise, clear picture of the people of Israel in God's hands. At God's mercy first, even in the chaos, and then too, in God's hope and mercy through abundance. For ancient people, God's power to allow them to suffer and God's power to lift them up were bound together and showed them that God was in control. So we don't know exactly when this was written, but we know it was during a season of downfall. 
that, God, that Joel's prophetic message represents a time first of suffering and then God's promises of plenty and security that come to the fore. And that happens in this, in this passage just before this reading in Joel when the people are called to gather together and to repent, to turn back to God. And it is ostensibly in, the, in this passage, in this reading, that turning back to God that allows God to turn them back to life, to pour upon them what it is they need to survive and thrive. The same word used in Hebrew for people turning back to God here is used also for God returning them to life out of of loss and from death to salvation. So let's go back to that kitchen photo Families change. I'm sure all of you can recall, or maybe you're even thinking now, of a family picture taken 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. People grow up. They move away. People die. That's just how life is. But in this case, the picture hanging in my kitchen tells a different story. The missing faces are not because of the normal seasonal life changes that you and I normally think about. This picture tells a story of larger-than-life systems that create oppression and force people to migrate. In the Bible commentary, Feasting on the Word, Pamela Cooper White describes two kinds of stressors identified by family therapists, horizontal stressors and vertical stressors. The horizontal stressors, she says, can include things like human-made mass tragedies, And she writes that they can create, quote, cohort groups of survivors across communities and even entire nations. Vertical stressors include, quote, enduring conditions such as chronic illness, family violence, poverty, lack of education and health care, racism, sexism, heterosexism, and other forms of oppression and deprivation. Cooper White explains that these vertical stressors, quote, rain down continually into the lives of certain groups in society, disproportionately depriving them of equal access to basic human rights, basic sustenance, and basic dignity. And that they are created by ongoing patterns of privilege, power, and domination, whether in the home or in society at large or both. Honduras is a case study of chronic horizontal stressors and vertical stressors that push people north, seeking the United States of America, a land that seems to Hondurans to be a land of milk and honey. Those patterns of privilege, power, and denomination are tightly woven into the fabric of Honduras's history with the military, political, and economic interests of the United States and of many countries in Europe. From the incursion of US multinational corporations over a century ago to turn Honduras into what has been called a banana republic, to the US government establishing proxy wars in Central America, and most recently, backing a military coup in Honduras 
in 2009, and then supporting blatantly fraudulent corrupt elections twice since then, the United States has played a major role in destabilizing Honduras, in creating root causes of migration. And I'm sure those are words we've all heard in the news in the last few months as the Biden administration has tried to look at, well, how do we address the root causes of migration? Friends, we are part of the root causes of migration, the history of the United States involvement in Central America. And it doesn't mean that everyone in Honduras is suffering, but it does mean that the most vulnerable are. And that means the majority of the population. Their lands are desolate. The locusts have devoured their vegetation, leaving nothing to eat. For a nation has invaded my land, Joel cries out in chapter 1, verse 6. Powerful and innumerable, its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. Honduras is a rich nation. It is not a nation of desolation, but it has been made desolate. It has been devoured and ravaged, invaded by the nations and armies from the north. Let us turn back again, or stay rather, with scripture. Through the prophet Joel, God does not leave the people of Israel in a barren wilderness, but shows a turning toward favor, following the people's turning back to God. After proclaiming and naming utter devastation, Joel, or God through Joel, showers the people effusively with encouragement, with hope. Do not fear, God seems to shout through Joel. The land itself can rejoice in God who has done great things. Joel gives voice to God's redemption and loving care with promises of abundant rain and of enough to eat. The debt of devastation will be repaid by a good God who has always been there for the people and was just waiting for them to turn back. The message is this, salvation, in other words, wholeness, fullness of life, and enough are there for receiving if and when we would only turn back. But what about Anayansi and Omar and Adriel and thousands, millions of others? Where is salvation? Where is that fullness of life for them? Sometimes I look at that picture on the wall and I feel sad, I feel sorrow. There's a nostalgia that's part of that sorrow. I know we won't experience Christmases like that again. And it's not because we don't have some family there. There are other little kids coming up, children of, of nephews um, who are still in Honduras. They're going to be in that, in that dirt yard outside the adobe house and the chicken tamales cooking. They'll be chasing chickens and, and throwing um, poppers. I think that's what you call them, those firecrackers on the ground. That always freaked me out when my kids would try to grab those and throw them because they'd light them, they'd be in their hand and they could pop before they got them to the ground. So we know that those, those scenes will still happen. The kids are there, some kids are still there, but we cannot have those kinds of Christmases and that kind of joy, the joy on the faces that I see in that photograph because 
While Ana Yancey and many others have been pressed to leave their homeland of Honduras without a legal document to live, or at least just to work in the United States, they are captives in this, their new land. There is not an office they could have gone to to get a visa, folks. I don't think that's something a lot of people in the US are aware of. There's not a legal way for them to come, and it's because they're poor. So their hope lays, lies in coming here and working hard and sending money back to family, and at the same time trying to find a way to have a better life here, to, to escape poverty, to escape violence. If they go back to Honduras, they can't come back to the US. I mean, if they try to, they'll be doing that at just as much risk as when they first came. And in the United States, a broken immigration system and a pressing need that we have here for cheap labor, which they supply, holds them ransom for years, sometimes for a lifetime. No tengan miedo. Do not fear, God cries out to Ana, Omar, Adriel. And now listen for just a few of the other names to whom God is crying out, names of those family in the photo and who were added to that picture later. No tengan miedo, do not fear, God cries out to Margie, Emmanuel, Jose, Eder, Axel, Araceli, Jair, Briani, Otoniel, Yesenia, Sofia, Axel, Eric, Sonia, Josari, Perla, Henry, Lisette, Melody, Alondra, Suyapa, Ruth, Osmin, Luis, Alexandra, Alessandro. No tengan miedo. Do not fear, God cries out. To those of us who live on the inside of a system that often works for us, I know it doesn't always work for all of us in the same ways, but when it does work, sometimes we are unaware of the larger-than-life picture that causes these people to be missing from the photograph. We are ignorant of that framed photo on the wall of my kitchen that tells many, many stories that are often too painful to remember. God is present with all of them as they work, as they worry, as they wait, as they wish for a documented status. It's not that they don't want to be here legally. It's just that there's not an, an easy way, an open way for them to do that. God is present with Ana, Omar, Adriel, as they struggle to make a home in this, the land of milk and honey to shape what they hope will become their American dream. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, God tells them through Joel, and tells us the same. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Joel tells us, gives us God's voice in chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. The people of Israel turned to God, returned to God. 
and favor opened up for them, plenty opened up for them. God was there all along. It was only a matter of turning. So how do we turn? It is our task, friends, to turn to God continuously, every day, to turn back to God with all our hearts, to see how we are parts of those systems of life or systems of death, and to turn away from death and towards life. So what does that mean? It could mean figuring out a way to befriend people in the refugee and immigrant community, helping fill out a form, understand what the immigration letter says, because it comes in English and you're not sure what it means. Driving people to appointments, helping with language, opening a space in your home or a, and perhaps an extra uh, you know, apartment that you have in your home, to people who are coming and need to get their feet on the ground, they just need a month or two. Stewardship here is with our resources to funds like Colectivo Esperanza, but it also includes learning, listening to stories, um, sharing the human face of these stories like the ones I've shared with you today, and becoming friends, looking for ways to become friends with the most vulnerable. And when we do this, when we turn to God with these day-by-day -day actions, the way will be clear. The rains will fall on all of us alike. There will be plenty for all to eat. There will be a home for everyone. Migration will not be forced. It will be voluntary. And families will not be separated any longer and we will know that God is in our midst. May it be so. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.